Sound Minds Radio, getting you behind the research and ideas in contemporary life. This episode produced by Michael Schubert. Sound Minds Radio, part of the Community Radio Network. Soundminds.com.au Welcome to the Sound Minds 5-Minute Research Pitch 2017 Finals Presentations. The 5-Minute Research Pitch is a competition for academics to present their research in five minutes. That's it. They can use three slides and there are no more rules. Researchers from seven universities competed this year within their university in two categories, science and health and arts, humanities and social sciences. The winner in each category heads off to the finals This year the competition was hosted by Central Queensland University because one of their researchers, Dr Melanie Heyman, was the 2016 overall winner. You can hear more from Melanie in the Sound Minds episode, Fit for Two, where she discusses her innovative and entrepreneurial research about fitness during pregnancy. The competition was held at the Central Queensland University campus in Melbourne, hosting the competitors from seven universities. Central Queensland, Australian Catholic University, Charles Sturt, Southern Cross, Southern Queensland, Tasmania, and Victoria University. It takes more than knowledge about your research to participate in this competition. It takes preparation and precision. If you go over five minutes, you're disqualified. If your slides don't work, you're on your own. Competitors take it seriously. Some universities establish a coaching and mentorship program. Communication is important. Academic careers are about research, but also about communicating to your peers, to your students, informing the public. And you never know when you may need to communicate to potential funding bodies. Succinct communication skills are essential. In this episode, we feature two academics from Charles Sturt University, Dr. Christy Robson from the School of Community Health, who researches injury risk management and falls in rural settings, and Dr. Sam Bowker from the School of Communication and Creative Industries, whose major research project is an art historical survey of the applique traditionally placed by Egyptian tent makers. First up, Christy Robson. Addressing Falls Risk in Regional Australia, Rethinking Our Approach. So my research is around falls risks in the older population. So why is this a problem? Well, the evidence would suggest that one in three older people are falling every single year. And despite substantial amount of funding going into the health system to manage this preventable injury, the age-standardised hospitalisation rates continue to increase by 2% every single year. This coupled with the fact that by 2051, it's expected that almost a quarter of the population will be aged 65 years and older and potentially at risk of falls prevention or falls injury. As a result, it's expected that the annual Australian budget needed just to manage the injuries associated with falls will exceed $1.4 billion every single year. So this is a significant issue for us all. 
So what did my research look at? Well, we wanted to look at falls risk from a holistic perspective. So we employed a mixed methods approach to analyse a range of different data sources. We looked at hospital admission data, we surveyed health professionals working in falls prevention, and we interviewed older people who had fallen as well as their family members. And we did this in a large geographical area of southern New South Wales. And there were three key findings that arose from this research. The first key finding is it's really hard to identify older people who are at risk of falls, mainly because they don't want to admit that they've fallen. The only consistent way we can identify them is once they've gone into hospital and they've been admitted with a serious injury. But this limits our opportunities to put in early intervention strategies. The second key finding is that once we do identify them, we're often inconsistently managed. My research found that of the people that went into hospital as a direct result of a fall, only about 50% of them were provided with any referral pathways to either assess or manage the subsequent risk of falling. And the third key issue is that older people are undertaking tasks every single day that are putting themselves at risk. And this was often because they didn't understand all of the risks associated with falls, or they didn't have anyone to do these types of tasks for them, so they had to do them. Collectively, this indicates that managing falls risk is actually really complex, and we probably need to be doing something much more integrated and holistic to manage this issue. So what do I propose? Well, we came up with the safe active living model. Now, this model is based on a socio-ecological framework, which is commonly seen in other public health initiatives, such as drink driving or quit smoking. As we can see, integral to the model is that the older person is central and is strongly interconnected with all of the other elements. This signifies that older people managing falls risk is not just an older person's problem, but is actually a population-wide issue. From the perspective of the community, we know that the general awareness around falls risk is actually quite low, so we need to actually educate and increase that awareness. From the perspective of the government, we actually need all levels of government to have strong partnerships and organisational structures that will enable older people to manage their own level of risk. From the perspective of the environment, which includes both physical and social, from the physical perspective, we know the home is the most common place where people are falling. So having access to low cost or subsidised cost home and garden maintenance may reduce the costs or falls in this context. From the social perspective, implementing community champions that will advocate and facilitate healthy ageing initiatives that have falls prevention embedded in them may make this more um, achievable for people to attend. And from the perspective of the health sector, we know they can't manage this solution on their own. They need to have strong pathways and referral connections with all of the other elements so they can focus on the high-risk individuals and that the community-driven models can focus on the low to medium risk individuals. Collectively, this model empowers older people to be active in managing their own level of risk, rather than being passive recipients of healthcare interventions, which is currently what's happening now. By moving towards a more population-wide and trialling a more population-wide approach may mean that we have an impact in the future in this area.
Sam Barker is a lecturer in art history and visual culture at Charles Sturt University in Wagga Wagga, where he teaches Australia's only undergraduate subject dedicated to Islamic art and design. His research for the last five years has centred on the tent makers of Cairo, and his presentation is called The Bride of the Sky. Sam starts with a photo of a young Egyptian tent maker. If I could ask this young man in the centre what the Aus meant to him, my research would be much easier. I'm interested in this man because he is a tent maker of Cairo. He is currently sewing a tent that will be larger than this room when finished. These pavilions are used for hosting weddings, funerals, festivals, all kinds of events in the streets of Egypt where they are still seen today. But their history is very poorly studied. My research, the first publication I made in fact in this field was the Wikipedia page for Kayamiya which is the art form of the decorated tent. Kayam in Arabic, Kayamiya, the decorated tent. So to create these, to study this form, my research focuses on finding surviving examples of these Kayamiya textiles. We look for them through museum catalogues, by corresponding with curators, by receiving emails unsolicited from textile collectors who find them in their linen cupboards and basements. We find them in op shops, on eBay, we find them in fashion magazines, in the background of Mick Jagger's bedroom, all kinds of odd spaces where Khedivah Kayamiya are hiding. And previously, my colleague Saif al-Rashidi and I have studied the calligraphy that appears on these texts, often misspelled and strangely revealing the world of the tent makers. Now we are shifting our attention a few inches higher to the pattern called the arus, the bride, plural arrays. When we are looking at this pattern, and I've given you a few examples here, we're trying to identify a way of attributing these textiles, which are anonymous and divorced of their provenance, to the workshops and individuals that made them. We hope that by identifying and cataloging these patterns, we can follow a theory proposed by Giovanni Morelli, a Renaissance art historian, who reckoned that if you looked carefully at the paintings of earlobes, nostrils, and fingernails, you'll work out which painter was responsible for a painting. My theory, though, starts with a different premise. Why were they calling this thing an arus to begin with? In other terms, we call this arabesque, an 18th century French word which has been slapped upon so much diversity as a single coverall term. The arus has two points of origin. The Circassian Mamluks created extraordinary mosques across the city of Cairo, which use an alternating crenellation of merlons at the top along here, which they also call the Aus pattern, the bride, interacting as a tessellation with the sky. And that was an elite level. These were palaces being made out of fabrics, traveling palaces, that borrowed the most reverential architecture available of the day. But down at street level, the Aus was a bride as a doll, made of sugar and lemon juice, sold to children at festivals, often from Kayamiya tents. And when laid up on a shelf together, we can once again see that undulating trefoil of the arus of the tent makers. Interestingly, those dolls are known to have been used in Egypt since the Fatimid period over a thousand years ago, an era also celebrated for its spectacular decorated tents. But why should we care about the arus beyond the tent makers? 
because it is one of the most recurring important motifs in the entire unwieldy field of Islamic art and design, especially from the Ottomans and within various forms of Persian design. That undulating trefoil pattern, a modification of the fleur-de-lis, it appears in metalwork, ceramics, manuscripts, glass, masonry, textiles, all manner of places. And it appears that this term has not been thoroughly interrogated. Right now, with a project led by the Islamic Art Museum Malaysia, which owns this Kaimir and the panel here, we're trying to work out other named motifs of the tent makers, because they all have stories. We can unpack the city of Cairo from the textiles they used uniquely within it. And in conclusion, I would like to remind us of one particular poem we discovered that appears almost as frequently on the Khedival Kaimir as the Arus pattern itself. The tent makers said to us, Behold, for you have seen a great work. Look closely, the evidence is before you. In Egypt, the greatest of all arts, this story will take a long time to explain. You've been listening to the Sound Minds Radio Project feature series on the 2017 Five Minute Research Pitch Finals. As you can tell, the subject matter is so diverse. There'll be seven episodes in all, featuring two researchers from each of the participating universities. And the Sandmines Radio Project prides itself in the diversity of the presentations, the research, the academics, and the points of view. Our typical episodes feature an academic presenting their work in their voice, their voice providing the thinking behind the ideas in modern research and contemporary life, providing the background, providing the raison d'etre, providing the impetus and the motivation that keeps researchers researching. At the Sound Minds Radio Project, we value critique and suggestions. So please send us an email at soundmindsradio at gmail.com. We value your input. Until next time, this is Michael Schubert, Executive Producer the Sound Minds Radio Project. You've been listening to another episode from Sound Minds Radio, produced for the Community Radio Network. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or visit our website, soundminds.com.au.